uh, in your bulletins, you'll see that this is called good coaching equals good growth. And our verse for today is a little tiny verse from 1 Corinthians where Paul was talking to the church. And he says this little tiny verse that a lot of us don't, we, we don't put a whole lot of emphasis in, in life. Because this verse stands in the way of me doing it myself at all times. And this little verse says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. See, Paul was saying something really, really unique and powerful right here. Usually we say, follow the example of Jesus, follow the example of Jesus. It's okay that I have shortcomings and I fail because Jesus doesn't. Here's the problem with this. I absolutely want us to follow Jesus. But there comes a time and place when we need to see Jesus with skin on. Shane always uses the analogy of, what would Jesus do? Well, most of us have no idea what Jesus would do, so it, it's kind of a bunk question. Sometimes in life, we need to see Jesus with skin on because we can't figure out what Jesus is going to do. Paul recognized this, and he told the church in Corinth, look, follow me because I'm following Jesus. If anything else, follow me. I want to introduce you to a little method. I'll call it a method, a little tool this is developed by a guy named Mike Breen. And Mike Breen's just one of the leading minds when it comes to multiplying and discipleship and really just church life. This is normally a staff meeting discussion. But like I said, we want the church to get behind our vision. And so we're going to kind of bring you into a little bit more of the mind of why we do what we do. Mike Breen, Dr. Mike Breen, what he did is he took Jesus' role in a lot of his disciples' lives, starting with, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men, to why don't you heal them, all the way to go and make disciples of all nations. And he kind of shows, he took, took the, the gospels, and he kind of dissected the story and looked at the different attributes of the disciples during their relationship with Jesus, and then also what he did as a leader. And this seems, I know some of you are like, ugh, this is going to be a lot more familiar than you think. As you can see from the arrows, we're going this direction. I'm going to call this one. Can we agree? Okay, this one's one. This is the romance, exciting, enthusiastic part of our relationships. This isn't just a relationship with Jesus. This is a relationship with a car. This is a relationship with a job. This is marriage. We go through this phase in our life where we have this really enthusiastic, wonderful time. I like to think of like... Um, when you're a child and you're starting to very first observe your parents driving, you know, like elementary school, you don't want to get behind the wheel necessarily. Your dad might put you on his lap and let you steer down a dirt road or something. But you're, you're kind of just excited and confident. Dad's got the wheel. Make sense? And then over time, you turn this corner and now you're 15, maybe 14 and now you're like, uh-oh, I'm going to be driving soon. So now mom and dad, big brother, they're starting to kind of show you what they do to drive. And they're like, oh, you might notice I put my hand here because in other states besides Utah, we use a turning signal. And <laughs> you click this. And oh, and you'll notice that I checked the mirrors and I put on my seatbelt. Oh, you notice that I slowed down around that turn. They're starting to observe. And so in this phase, it's becoming like more of a reality of what it takes to drive. It's also in this phase, we're going to call this two, 
And in this phase, this is also where the 15-year-old gets to get behind the wheel for the first time. And, and I don't know if you remember being 15 or 16 and getting behind the wheel the first time. You're kind of cocky, and you're kind of like, I've been watching you do this for 15 years. I think I got it. And I don't know if you remember that very first time you stalled on a hill back when we had manual transmissions. That very first time you stalled on the hill and the car behind you is honking and, and your parent is sitting next to you going, calm down, calm down, put in the clutch. Okay, put it into first gear. And you're just like, oh, I can't do it. Let's just get out of the car. And they're like, stop, put in the clutch. Car behind you honking. And then you, you, you pull back into the driveway and you're like, I never want to do this ever again. I had no idea what I was getting into. This is the hardest thing I've ever done in my entire life. And your mom and dad have to say, hey, you're going to get it. It takes practice. Calm down. How many parents would say, you're right, you should probably never drive ever again? <laughs> See, as a parent of a six-year-old, I agree with that one. But then when she, my daughter needs to get to soccer and to gymnastics and to acting class and to her extracurricular studies and her um, honor classes, she's going to be a perfect child. And as she gets to all those classes, at some point I'm going to say, you need to drive. You need to drive yourself. And you have to, in this stage, you have to say, I know this is hard, but I need you to push through it. And then we turn this corner right here where we enter into this stage where it starts to become a little bit more, e a little easier. You, you started learning that you can't turn really heavy, you know, that first time your car just barely does that two-wheel thing and your heart stops. You learn you can't do that anymore. You learn you can't follow too close to somebody because if they slam on the brakes, you might rear-end them. You're starting to learn and you're starting to have a little bit less fear, but you're cautious. Mom and dad are still next to you, but now you're kind of getting it. And then this is where kind of like your muscle memory starts, and then you turn this corner where it's not hard to drive anymore. You don't have to think to turn on your, your turning signal. You get in the car, you hit the turning signal in other states. You know, when, you, when, when you're driving, all of the habits that you were so scared of right here and mastered right here become a reflex right here. And now you don't have to think about it. Now you're like, yeah, be cautious. People die in cars, but it's not as difficult. Now I can think of other things on the road. I can focus on other things, not texting, but now the reflex of driving is now part of who you are and you're a driver. Well, this is life. This is relationships. If you're in a marriage, you're going to have a time in your relationship with your wife, your husband, where it is exciting, it's exuberant, even her morning breath is romantic, like it's just crazy exciting. And then you turn this corner where you're like, she doesn't clean all the time. My laundry has been dirty for three days. Or she's looking at you and she's like, um, you're kind of a jerk when you're ornery. Like in the morning, I don't like talking to you. And you turn this corner where like the romance starts to fade off and the cost of marriage starts to actually sink in and you're like, this is harder than I anticipated. I didn't realize it was going to cost this much to be married. I didn't realize that sharing a house meant the romance was one day going to wear off. And you go through this really dark stage where you're like, I don't, I need help. I need to do something. But see, this is every relationship. And see, Jesus in the Gospels, he shows that this same relationship cycle, you might have seen this relationship as more of a circle. If you're a life coach, you probably have used the circle. I like the square because in, in life you have to turn corners sometimes. You just do. Sometimes you have to say, I'm going to get through this. And it's not going to flow. I need to get through this. 
Well, in discipleship and following Jesus, it's no different. It's no different. See, we are excited when we first meet Jesus. When we first realize that he loves me, he's forgiven me, he said I could be a part of his family, I'm a priest, I'm a princess, I am, I am Jesus' child, and it's exciting. And you don't go, but I don't know what I'm doing. In romance, you don't care. You are incompetent and you are enthusiastic about it. Who cares that we don't know what we're doing? It's exciting. But like every relationship, we turn a corner. And in Jesus' relationship with his disciples, he turned a corner and he said, you know what, it's not just about me anymore. I want you to help me in what I'm doing. Most of us don't even realize this. Did you know that Jesus told his disciples that they could do what he did? One, one story specifically, Jesus is asleep in a boat. The storm hits his disciples, most of which are professional fishermen, and they have the, they have the professional opinion, they have the right to say we're going to die because of the waves. And they say, Jesus, don't you care that we're perishing? And he wakes up and rubs the sleep out of his eyes. And in our children's storybooks of Jesus, it says, and then Jesus calmed the waves. That's not what happened. Jesus looked at his disciples and said, don't you have any faith? And they're like, whoa. And then he calmed the waves. Which pretty much Jesus said, why'd you wake me up? Why didn't you calm the waves? We can do it? Whoa. See, they entered into this time where Jesus is like, I want you to be a part of what I'm doing. See, I'm not, you're not, this was exciting because you got to watch me work. But now I'm going to show you that you can have the same faith as me and watch God move. This is also the part where people wanted to kill him. See, in this section, it was really, really exciting. They had thousands of people following him. These were the 12 people that Jesus picked when he was ministering to thousands. And these thousands of people are looking at these 12 disciples and they're like, dang, they get to hang out with Jesus. And they're like, yeah, we do. But then it turns a corner. Jesus starts saying really hard things. He starts saying things that are offensive. He starts teaching things and the crowds are starting to now walk away from him. He's made the religious leaders so mad that they want to kill him. They're literally looking for ways to kill Jesus. So now the disciples are in this phase where they're like, it's not as exciting anymore. Like the romance and the enthusiasm is wearing off. The cost of following Jesus is actually starting to settle in. He's actually asking things of me. See, I liked it when he did everything and I just got to show up and enjoy it. But now he's like making me partner with him and stuff. See, this is the part where the disciples start to go, but Jesus, we can't do it. And he's like, I know, but God can. Here's what we need to recognize about Jesus. We sometimes think of Jesus as Superman, or like he was a God that came down to earth as a God. And he did God-like things because he's a God. No, 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 no. God came down in the form of a human being, and he had all of the limitations and temptations of a human being. Jesus pooed just like you. He wasn't a God. He was God in the form of a man to show his disciples that if you trust in God, you can do God things but not because of you, but because of the God you trust. We know this because the disciples went on to do God-like things, not because of their own strength, but because of God's strength. Jesus wasn't Superman. He was a regular human being that came down. He was God that came in, into the form of a regular human being to prove to us that faith can move mountains. You have to set the stage there. They're discouraged. They're hurting. They're wondering what they got themselves into. This is where Jesus starts separating himself from the crowd and starts spending more time with his disciples. See, up here, as they return in this corner, he was telling people, do you know what it's like to, to follow me? You have to sell all of your possessions. You have to give it to the poor, then you can come follow me. 
And the, and the disciples are like, wow, what are we supposed to do now? And he, he tells them, hey, little flock, your shepherd knows what he's doing. Whatever you give up in this life, you're going to get a hundred times. He started reminding them of the vision. He started pouring into them as they started reaching the end of their own strength. This didn't take any of their own strength. Coming to church on Sunday and hearing somebody preach does not take the utmost of your strength. But when the relationship starts to change and Jesus starts to say, you know, I created you for more than just watching, right? I know. Crazy. You know, I created you to be a participant. Do you know that the same Holy Spirit that was in Jesus I put in you? It gets scary. Now, in your bulletins, you'll see it, it says the multiplying square. I want to introduce you to a thing called the tragic triangle. Because here's what happens in life. And the church is so guilty of this. We love this part. We love new Bible studies. We love new churches. We love conferences. We love discovering new preachers. We love the romantic, expect nothing from me part of Jesus. But in every relationship, you're going to turn a corner where you're going to realize that 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 TV preacher that you love so much isn't perfect. You're going to realize that the the pastor of your church is not flawless and he might teach something you don't agree with. You're going to realize that following Jesus is actually hard and there's a a cost to it. And you're going to turn this corner and you're going to go, man, this is tough. You're going to get disillusioned. You're going to fall into despair. You're going to fall into discouragement. And because we live in a culture, just like we talked about last week, where the most important thing is for me to be happy, we justify leaving when things get hard. So we either do this. When we get to this phase, if we don't turn a corner, we're either going to go out, or we're just going to say it doesn't work. Jesus doesn't work. I went to church for a year. I did everything the pastors told me to do. No, you didn't. But I went, and it didn't work. I'm still miserable. I'm still addicted. It didn't work. Or we're going to do what I believe the church does most is we we take a shortcut back to the beginning and we start here again. And we say, I'm discouraged. I'm disillusioned. I'm I'm kind of feeling the resistance that comes with following Jesus and being a part of his church. I'm going to go do something new. I'm going to go find a new church. I'm going to go find a new ministry. I'm going to go find a new Bible study. I'm going to go find somebody who's going to hold me accountable but not really hold me accountable because the last guy that held me accountable actually called me on my sin and I didn't like that. So I'm going to go find a new one. And this is what the church does. This is what this is typical church. And I'm not trying to insult anybody, but this is part of why our mission at Mountain View Fellowship is a coach is because this triangle is tragic. This triangle does not make disciples. This triangle feeds into every lie that our culture tells us. It's all about you. If you're uncomfortable, get out. You should never be uncomfortable. You should never be tried. You should never be under stress because Jesus is all about peace and lambs and, and happiness and cuddles. But if you're over 30, you know very well that sometimes in life you have to go through hard times. You have to learn perseverance. There's rarely an excuse to say, you know what, I just don't feel like doing it anymore. I'm going to get out. But we do this all the time in the church. And we return to this beginning. and We just find something new to be romantic about. And then when that becomes hard, we quit and find something new to be romantic about. And we finally, we're just chasing these feelings of romance all over the place. And you know what happens? Eventually, we go like this. We've done the, we've done the triangle a few times. And we just leave. We say, I've done everything. I've done, I've done the Bible study. I did Bible college. I did it all, and it didn't work. So we leave. You know, we're doing youth ministry for seven years. 
there's always this conversation when you're around other youth ministries, youth ministers, is what are we going to do about all the kids leaving Jesus when they walk, when they go to college? All of our high school kids are like, like a huge percentage of them, they, they graduate high school and they go to college and they stop following Jesus. And everybody's like scratching their heads and they're like, why is this happening? And I'm like, this isn't rocket science. They weren't following Jesus in high school. And then you wanted them to graduate and start following Jesus in college when they had no influence. They had no coaches. They, they were Christian because they, they went to youth group, but they weren't following Jesus. It's not rocket science why they didn't fall, like, while they fell away, because they were never following Jesus. See, when, it, w w when we allow students to do this circle where they're allowed to get excited about something, but never have a coach, never have a mentor, never have someone to say, I know it's hard. Hard is okay sometimes. You need to keep pushing through. If we don't do that, the reality of Jesus' life never becomes real to us. It's always an idea, but we never actually get to see sh God show up. See, in the Bible, we get to see God show up, but it's because they were in a trial that they, they reached the end of their strength, they were in, in front of an impossible situation, and there was nowhere to go. And then God's like, awesome, that's my specialty, and he shows up. But see, we've become accustomed to, in, our, in, in kind of modern Christianity, is when things get hard, rather than waiting and persevering and waiting for God to show up, we're like, well, this is tough, I'm out. We didn't give God a chance to show up. You know what happens when God shows up at the end of our strength? All those ideas and things we talk about on Sunday, they stop becoming ideas. They start becoming real. When you see God answer a prayer, the next prayer is bigger. When you see God show up and heal, the next time you're expecting it. When you see God show up at the end of your strength, at the end of your rope, when you are broken and down, and, and there's nowhere further, you can't go any further down. When you see God show up, it becomes a reality of who you are, just like that driver. Now, oh yeah, God shows up. It's real. It's actually real. And when we allow people to constantly get away and leave before they actually get to experience God and experience what it means to follow him, we're doing them a disservice. Because eventually they're going to do this and they're never going to get to see God show up other than in the pastor or the preacher. And then they're going to finally go, you know what, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. We have a saying at the Uncharted School of Discipleship uh, specifically related to this. A lot of people don't follow Jesus and then they say, but he didn't show up. Like for youth especially, they, they, they were told Jesus was going to be the fountain of living water and then they continue drinking from the contaminated water of our culture in the world, just gulping it. And they're like, I don't feel alive. I feel bloated. And we're like, well, because you didn't drink from the water. You heard about it. You got a tattoo of it, but you didn't ever drink from it. And they'd say, Jesus was supposed to be the bread of life. I don't feel like he's the bread of life. And we're like, that's because you're still eating the moldy, stale bread of the world. When was he going to become the bread of life? Follow him. Eat from him. Drink from his life. Last one, I, I hear people say, what about this new creation? I feel I, I, I was told that when I started following Jesus, I'd become a new creation. I say, yeah, but every morning you wake up and you put on your dead, rotted body back on. And you're like, why do I stink? Go watch Silence of the Lambs. It'll tell you why you stink. You're wearing your old flesh. You put it back on every day. You're a new creation. Quit wearing it. <clears throat> people aren't following Jesus because they're not following Jesus. And then they want Jesus to show up. We have to follow Jesus. He is the fountain of living water, but you got to drink from it. 
Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it takes the most desperate thirst of our lives, but you got to do it. Sometimes we want, I'm not satisfied. I'm hurting. I feel empty. I thought Jesus was going to be the bread of life. He is, but you got to go to him. You're still eating everything the world feeds you, and you're wondering why you're bloated. It's not the, it's not the gluten in it. It's the world. <laughs> he is the bread of life, but you got to eat from it. Folks, we need coaches. We are not strong enough on our own. We have lost our need for coaches in life, and what we're doing is we're creating a system where people do the, they do the religious cycle over and over and over again, and then they finally become an atheist and say, it doesn't work. And I go, yeah, it doesn't work because you're doing it wrong. Sorry, it's not going to work when you do it wrong. If you put your car in reverse, you can't expect to go forward. Stop trying. Follow Jesus. It won't work any other way. Jesus doesn't work unless you follow Jesus. But then when you discover that following Jesus is everything he promised, you'll never go back. That's why in, in Psalms it says, taste and see that the Lord is good. <laughs> it'll, it'll prove itself, but you got to taste it. you got to let it nourish you. You don't have to take my word for it. Taste and see that the Lord is good. I want to show you how important it is that we have mentors, and I'll show you with some of these blanks. Here's some some of the descriptions of what it means, the roles of a coach, and how important it is that you have a coach. The first one is a coach is a protector. A coach is a protector. In John chapter 10, Jesus uses the analogy with his disciples of being the good shepherd. He, He protects the sheep. He leads the sheep to green pastures. He sleeps in the entryway to the gate, uh, to the sheep, so that wolves can't get in and predators can't get in. See, sheep, I mean, shepherds protect their sheep. They take them personal. And we need coaches in our lives that are going to mimic just what Jesus did and and be protectors of us. Because we have naysayers, we have gossipers, we have people that don't want to see us succeed in Jesus. Especially in Jesus, because Jesus is weird to this world. Do a lot of this with our Uncharted students, because... They took a year off to, to focus on God rather than taking a year off to earn money or get a college degree, and it's weird. And it, in the midst of a lot of the naysaying, I don't know a better word, they needed somebody to say, hey, I know it's weird. I know it doesn't make sense to this world, but that's okay. I'm here with you. It does make sense. It's the most important thing you could be doing with your life. <clears throat> we need somebody to protect us. The other part of being a protector is the sheep know the shepherd's voice. We need to know Jesus' voice, but we also need to learn and recognize the voice of those who are protecting us. If you have somebody who's mentoring you, you're going to learn to listen and value their voice above the voice of your friends, of the voice of your family. We have people in our lives that are going to A, try and get us to accomplish their agenda, or B, they just want you to have fun and be happy. That's our friends. Our friends are like, you're bummed out. You should change something major in your life. Not always. Sometimes you're bummed out because of your decisions. We don't need friends. We need mentors and protectors. And sometimes we need to be able to hear and recognize the voice of people who love you enough to say hard things. Sometimes that means protecting you from your own sin. That's what accountability is. You know, a shepherd with a sheep, a shepherd loves his sheep. So if a sheep keeps wandering away from the flock, it it's, it's in danger of falling in the river and drowning. It's in danger of being eaten by a wolf. Sheep are pretty helpless. And, he, and a shepherd will go to drastic lengths to protect a sheep, even breaking one of its legs. Sh- a shepherd would often, if a sheep kept wandering away, he would break one of its hind legs and carry it for a while. And then it would let it down, knowing that it couldn't walk away because it needed to learn and trust the shepherd. 
And sometimes we need someone in our life who's going to say, I know this is hard, but follow me as I follow Jesus. I'm not telling you I'm perfect, but I, I want to see you push through this. We need somebody who's going to protect us. The next one is coaches or mentors. The verse for this is the verse of, of this whole passage is follow me as I follow Christ. Um, this falls against that lie that if I can't do it I, alone, I shouldn't be doing it. That's what the world says. If you can't do it all on your own, you shouldn't be doing it. It's a lie. You know, if you wanted to become a doctor, but you opted out of becoming or serving a residency for two years, how many hospitals would hire you? Zero. Do you know why? Because they don't trust you. You, you have head knowledge, but you weren't willing to pay the price of following somebody else doing it. That's why if you want to become a doctor, you have to serve a pretty intensive residency, and it's not easy. You get paid almost nothing, and you have to follow around another doctor or doctors. See, when it comes to life-saving things, we believe in mentoring. <laughs> but when it comes to our spirituality, we're like, no, I can do this on my own. I have the Bible, and I have Jesus. I love that attitude, but we need each other. We need mentors. We need people to lead and disciple us. That's why Jesus' last message was to make disciples. Lead people. Say, follow me as I follow Christ. We need mentors. This thing we call spirituality, this thing we call Jesus, is life and death, just like a doctor's scalpel. See, mentors, mentors um, are often the ones who are going to make the mistake or show us how to avoid pitfalls in life before we have to fall into them ourselves. We get to learn from their mistakes. We get to also, as we try new things, we have somebody standing right next to us who's going to lead us through it. Pastor Shane spoke at the Uncharted Discipleship School's graduation, and he shared a, 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 a quote from this book called, uh, it's called Our Daily Bread. It's a devotional. Most of you have probably heard of it, and they just have different devotionals for the whole year. But he talked about how in, in Jesus' culture, a rabbi's culture, Jewish rabbi culture, when, when a rabbi had a disciple, there was kind of a legendary saying that a, a disciple would say. And he would say that he wanted to follow close enough to the rabbi that he would cover himself with the dust of the rabbi's feet. They would say, I want to be so close to my rabbi that even the dust from his feet is, is all over my body. I want to follow him. I don't want to get in front of him and tell him where to go. I want to be behind his feet. And, and we, need to, we need to appreciate the mentor aspect of coaches. The next one is coaches are equippers. I don't even know if that's a word, but I don't care. <coughs> coaches are equippers. <coughs> in Ephesians 2, or Ephesians 2, verse 12, says to equip his people for works of service so the body of Christ may be built up. See, there comes a time in our Christian walk where we need somebody, just like a mom sitting in the passenger seat with their, with their child, saying, I'm going to be with you, and I'm going to show you how to drive, but I'm not leaving you. I'm right here. I'm going to show you how to do it. We often leave each other open and vulnerable and kind of ignorant of what steps to take next because we don't believe in equipping. Equipping is so instrumental in Jesus' church. We need somebody who's going to actually, like I said, Jesus with hands and feet on. What's it mean to go to Salt Lake and feed the homeless? You can't find a verse in the Bible that's going to tell you how to handle somebody who's homeless in Salt Lake City. Sometimes you need somebody with Jesus with, with skin on who's going to say, let me show you how we do this. 
If you want to start serving in one of the ministries here, sometimes you need to just go and follow and let somebody else say, hey, let me show you how to do this. Follow me as I follow Christ. We need people to be equipping us or we're not learning how to be Jesus' church. It's part of the multiplication. All of us want to be equipped. We do. But it's not going to happen if we keep this idea that if I can't do it alone, then I shouldn't be doing it. So many things in life are worth doing. (laughs) But we need a coach. We need somebody to help us learn how to do it. Next one is coaches are visionaries. I think this one's very important. In Philippians 1, chapter 6, the Apostle Paul says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. See, when we get right here, when we're down in the pit, when we're in the muck, when we're tired, when we're discouraged, what often happens in life is we can no longer see why we're doing what we're doing. I don't know if you've ever been there where you're like, I was really, really excited, but now I can't even remember why I was doing it. You get involved in a ministry or you get involved in a relationship and you're like, man, you asked me three weeks ago while I was here, I could have like written you a book. I can't even tell you right now though because I'm so discouraged. You know, that's when the temptation is to trust our feelings and to say, Mike, your feelings are totally valid. Go ahead and just obey your feelings. And we need a coach to say, stop listening to your feelings. You're discouraged. You're in a fog and you can't see the finish line. I can Take my, you know, I, I, I picture like somebody taking their hand and putting it on, you know, or taking my hand and put it on their shoulders and just saying, you can't see right now. Don't stop walking. Follow me. You know, when we did the, the Camus Church plant and when we did the Uncharted School of Discipleship all within a year, there was a lot of times when the work and the pressure was too heavy for me. And I was learning how to trust Jesus in ways I'd never known before. But there was also times when I couldn't remember what I was doing. I was so tired that I couldn't remember why we were doing it. And there was times when I almost, despite my pride, I wanted to say, you know what, this isn't even worth it. And Shane, Pastor Shane, would have to take me aside and say, stop listening to your feelings. Mike, stop. Of course you're tired. You're doing something big. And then he would stop and he would paint for me again why we're doing it. And he would say, remember this, remember this, remember this. And he would help me see the vision that I couldn't see anymore. And in in a walk with Jesus, sometimes we need people to say, I get it, it's hard. Remember why you're doing what you're doing. Just like the Apostle Paul said, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Don't stop. You can't see it right now. I can. Many of you have been through some of the the mud and the, the, the muck of life and you've seen the other side, and now you're looking back at it, and you're going, wow, that wasn't as bad as I thought. Well, people around you are going through it, and it is as bad as they thought, and they need you to step in and say, hey, I've been through it. Take my hand. I'll walk you through it. Don't forget why you're doing it. We need visionaries in our life, because in this part, it's really easy for the vision to die, and we forget why we're doing what we're doing, which is to make disciples. Last one, not going to spend too much time on this because this is our next week. Coaches challenge us. They're challengers. Coaches often are the ones who say, I get that you're comfortable. I get that you don't want to be stretched. I get that you like relying on your own strength. You need to push a little bit harder. You need to jump a little bit further. I believe that God can do more in you than you believe you can do in your, on, on your own. See, challenge, the verse for challenge is Matthew chapter 28, the Great Commission. And I'm going to close with this. See, in the Great Commission, Jesus 
died. That happened. Then he rose from the dead. That happened. Pretty big red flag. Something's going on. Shows himself to 500 people. And then right before he went, ascended to heaven and gave us the Holy Spirit, he said to his disciples, now go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and I'll be with you always. See, we often begin with the Great Commission. We often say, you are now a believer in Jesus. Now go, make disciples of all nations. It took them three years to get to where they could accept that mission. The Great Commission's hard. It's not an easy. You're, you're talking about trusting in Jesus in a supernatural way. And Jesus, it took him three years to get his disciples to believe that, he, that God can do and accomplish this mission through them, that they would have to learn how to radically trust in him. And I feel like we do ourselves a disservice when we don't help ourselves get to this place where following and trusting Jesus isn't something we have to try, but it's a reflex. Where when trouble comes, we don't have to stop and go, what would Jesus do? It's a reflex, like slamming on the brakes when the car in front of you stops fast. You don't have to go, what was I supposed to do right now? Boom! No! You hit the brakes. It's a reflex. See, Jesus brought his disciples to a place where following him wasn't something they had to stop and pray about. It was who they were. But he also commissioned us to do the same thing. See, as we finish up talking about coaching, I'm giving you kind of an inside look into what our mission is as a church. Our mission is not to get you excited. There's a time and a place to be excited. There's a time and a place. Somebody who's new in Jesus has a fire that is contagious, but it's, gonna, it's going to need some wood on that fire eventually. That fire's going to have to turn into coals one day. We did not start a church to get you excited. <clears throat> we started a church to make disciples. And we have to. So we're giving you an inside look on why we do what we do and how important it is. When we talk about having accountability, having a mentor, we mean it. We mean it. We do not believe we're strong enough on our own, and sometimes we need somebody to keep pushing us forward and cheering us on. Otherwise, we will not fulfill the mission he has put in front of us. My last question for you is this. Is your life worth imitating? Is your life worth imitating? Do you have people in your life that you need to say, follow me as I follow Jesus? Doesn't mean you have to be perfect. Thank God for grace. You will never stop the sin battle. But is your faith worth imitating? And secondly, if you know that's not you, who are you following as they follow Jesus? If, if, if you're in a place where you're like, I don't even know what it means to be a Christian, like you handed me a Bible and I opened it up and I'm scared now, like I opened up to Leviticus and it starts telling me I can't wear certain clothing. Like if you're in that place where you're like, I don't know what it means to follow Jesus, awesome. You're in a great spot. Find someone to follow as they follow Jesus. Don't try and do it on your own. Find someone to follow as they follow Jesus. <clears throat> Even if that means you walk up to somebody who's been a spiritual mentor to you and say, <coughs> sorry, can I follow you? <laughs> I promise you'll make their day. I promise. They might tell you no. Then you just find someone else. But let's not forget how important it is for us to have coaches in our lives. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that our faith is not based on our emotions. I thank you that our faith is not based on the level of enthusiasm we have or the fire or the passion. I thank you that 
our faith is based on reality. I thank you that our faith and, and this thing that you have called us to do, which is following Jesus, is not based on how I feel at any given moment, but it is based on truth and it is based on your power in my life. Lord, I thank you that you put us through hard times. I thank you that you shake us up. I thank you that you reveal areas in my life where I'm still trusting in the lies of this world and my own strength. I thank you for making me weak so I have to trust and rely on you. And Lord, I thank you for coaches that you have put in my life and in the lives of those that I love and around me who have called me to keep moving forward when I'm struggling, who have called me to quit trusting in my deceitful emotions, but to trust in your word and trust in truth. Lord, I thank you for creating and and commissioning an environment of discipleship, Lord, where we do not have to do this on our own. And I pray that each one of us would take this seriously. Pray we would begin following people as they follow you, and I pray that we would start leading people and they can look to us of what it means to follow you. Lord, thank you. Thank you for giving us a mission that is bigger than we could ever accomplish on our own, so we are absolutely forced to trust you. We love love you, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.